Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Use this as our jumping off point this morning. Jesus is teaching. And his disciples have been asking him questions. And he's been answering the questions and some of the things they understood and some of the things they didn't. In Matthew chapter 24, in verse number 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the building to the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See see not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the, the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, and love of, of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations. And then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standeth in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is in the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no nor shall ever be. Jesus Christ spoke extensively about this time of, of tribulation. He actually kind of divides it up into two parts. He talks about a, about a, a time of sorrow, the days of sorrow, the, the beginning of sorrows, he says in verse number 8. And then he talks about the great tribulation. Normally when we talk about this time period, we talk about it as just the tribulation period. But understand, it's actually two periods, three and a half years long. It's a seven-year period. And that first three and a half years is horrible. It's horrific. But it's nothing compared to the second half. The first half is that those, that, those days of sorrow. And the second half is what's called the great tribulation. Here he's talking about some of the things that's going to take place then. 
we look at the book of Revelation. Revelation kind of creates its own outline. It's kind of broke up into three parts. He's talking to John. John is, is receiving that. John is seeing everything that's recorded in the book of Revelation. And it's kind of broke up into three parts. It's, the first part is, is in chapter number one. It's the, it's the things that John's already seen. He's already seen the glorified Christ. He's already seen the resurrected Christ. He's already seen those things. And then, and then the things that are... Are in, are in chapters number one, or two and three. Those are we, normally we look at those as the letters to the seven churches. There's a lot of bad theology out there. There's a lot of bad teaching out there. Those letters were to seven real, tangible churches that existed at the time of, of John. Some of them still exist today. Some people teach, well, that well, that's the seven periods of the church age, or the, that's seven different different dispensations of the church age. The Bible never says anything foolish like that. It's talking about real churches. Now, it's very beneficial to us today, and we should study those seven churches, and we don't have time to get into all those today, but you should study those and look at those because when you read through those churches, you're going to see this church there somewhere. You're going to see other churches that you love in there somewhere. And when you see those churches, you need to say, okay, this is what the church is doing right, and this is what the church is doing wrong, and how can we continue to do what we're doing right and get rid of some of that stuff that we're doing wrong? See, those letters of the seven churches weren't necessarily to condemn those seven churches, but to act as a wake-up call to get right. That's very valuable for us today to study those. We've studied those at length. I encourage you to continue to study those. And then after that second period is done, then he talks about the things that are going to, to come. And the rest of the book of Revelation is all about things that haven't happened yet in the day of John. And these are all things that are going to happen. And we see the scene opens up in the throne room of God, and God's got a book. He's got this book, and he says, we're going to open up this book, but I need somebody that's worthy to break these seven seals on this book. And they look everywhere. They can't find anybody. John's not worthy. The angels aren't worthy. No human on earth is worthy. And then so John is, is sad because nobody is worthy to open it, and one of the angels comes to him and says, no, no, there is one. There's one that's worthy to open the seals. And of course, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who's worthy to break those seals. And as he starts breaking those seals, we start to see things happen. The first four seals reveal the four horsemen. Sometimes we call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We have those, those four horsemen. The first one that comes out is he's riding a white horse, and he's carrying a bow, but he has no arrows. And he brings peace to the world told you there's a lot of bad theology out there. There's some people that will teach that this is Jesus Christ. This isn't Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming to the earth two times. He's already come once. And the next time he comes is that towards almost the very end of the book of Revelation. He comes close to coming back. And I'm talking about in his physical sense, not in his spiritual sense. Of course, his spiritual sense, he's here already. He comes back in the air and takes us home. We call that the rapture. But this one that's on the white horse that has, that's giving peace to the world, that's the Antichrist. See, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's not coming back to bring peace. He's coming back to bring war. He's not coming back with an empty bow. He's coming back with a sword sharper than, uh, with a sword that's sharper than any other sword. And he will defeat the armies of the earth. Only then, when the worldliness is gone, when the sinfulness is gone, can we finally have peace peace. This isn't Jesus on the first horse. This is the Antichrist. 
And we see that, that the Antichrist is followed up. This time of peace with the Antichrist is followed up by the red horse. The red horse represents war. You see, the peace that the Antichrist is going to bring is a temporary peace, a short-lived peace. You know, we pray for peace on this earth, but we need to understand peace is never coming to this earth until Jesus Christ comes back. We may have little pockets of peace. We may have a little time of peace, but we'll never have long-lasting peace, and we'll never have worldwide peace. It won't happen. Our governments are run by sinful people by sinful men and women. As long as they're running it and they have their own hearts and their own desires and their own wants, there is no unity. And as long as there is no unity, there is no peace. Peace isn't possible on the earth today. It's hard enough for Christians who have the unity of Jesus Christ to live peaceably together. And we're called to do that because that's what sets us apart from the world. The world can't have peace, but we can have peace here in this world. We have the peace, then we have war, and then we have the black horse. The black horse brings famine, which our history shows us this one. Because anytime we have these big wars, what comes is, is we have famine that follows the wars. Because the fields are burned and the supply lines are crushed. And we have famine that follows. So this famine is going to come and all this other stuff. And then following the, the famine is going to be the pale horse. I was, I, I was reading, it, it struck me this time when I was reading it. I never really thought about it before. What color is pale? You know, you've got white, you've got red, you've got black, and you've got pale. And in my mind, I always thought it was like another white horse, because that's what pale was. It's actually green. If you look back, you study back, it's actually green, but it's a, a very um, light green. It's the color of death. When a body turns green and, and things start to turn green, it's a very light green color. Kind of like if you're going to dress up for Halloween, you're going to be Frankenstein's monster, you put the green paint on your face, that's what it is. Because that last one is death. That fourth one is death. That's our fourth seal. And then he breaks the fifth seal, and we see the martyrs in heaven, those that, that have died for him over the years. All these Christians that have been executed over the years, the, you know, the, the apostles, the disciples, all these, these in, in the Muslim countries and in the, in the uh, Asian countries, and even here in the United States, where, where at the beginning of our, the formation of our country, churches would be, be padlocked and, and believers inside worshiping, and the, the building would be set on fire and burned, trying to eradicate Christianity from, from the United States. Those are going to be there. And they're going to be revealed in chapter number 5, and they're going to cry out, how long? How long before justice prevails? How long will you withhold your wrath? How long? And they're, they're, they want justice. And they're not trying to accuse God. They just want the justice. They're crying out for justice. Don't let us die in vain. And of course they won't. And then the sixth seal is broken. And when the sixth seal is broken, we see earthquakes Every mountain, it says every single mountain is moved from its foundation. Think about all the mountains. We don't see a lot of mountains here in Florida. But all around the world, there are mountains. Every mountain is going to be moved from its foundation. Those are some pretty severe earthquakes. We're going to see all types of disasters. We're going to see disasters that are going to blot out part of the sun. We're going to see disasters that are going to make the, the moon appear blood red. And then it says that the, the heavens... All the stars and the planets are rolled up. We won't even be able to see them anymore. They're just gone. 
It's disasters beyond anything that we can even imagine. And we're not even at the halfway point yet. We're not even to the three and a half year mark. That takes us from verses, chapters 4 through chapters uh, um, 7. By the way, this is all introduction. I haven't gotten to our text yet. Are you excited yet? I get a little excited about the book of Revelation. Because what I want to focus on today is chapter number 8. Chapter number 8 of the book of Revelation is a very interesting chapter. Six seals have been broken. There's seven seals on the book. Before he breaks that seventh seal, there's a pause. There's a pause in chapter number 8. In chapter number 8, we see something manifest itself that we haven't seen through the first six. We see the grace of God revealed. And it just it struck me as I was reading through the book of Revelation this week. It just struck me. It was like a hammer to the head that even during this time of intense tribulation, God's grace is still there. God's grace is still present. His grace didn't leave the earth. His, his church may be gone, but his grace is still there. Now, think about this for a second. If, if his grace can be revealed in the middle of tribulation, and we're going to look at that grace in just a minute in chapter number eight. If his grace can be revealed in the, in the midst of the worst tribulation the earth has ever seen and ever will see, how much more can his grace be revealed in whatever tribulation you're going through today? Your problems may seem big. But none of us are having the problems of mountains being moved out of our yards and, and, and rocks falling on us and us wishing to be dead because of how bad it was. None of us are seeing war and, and famine and, and pestilence like it's taking place in this time. None of us are seeing the, the sun being blotted out and the moon turning to blood. None of us are seeing the stars being taken away from our skies at night. None of us are experiencing anything even close to this. So why can't God's grace be revealed in our life today? Again, so much easier. But just like then, we've got to be looking for it. I, I did a little word study because a lot of times we use mercy and grace together. We kind of use them interchangeably, right? You know, they don't mean the same thing. They're similar. They're very similar. They both have a, have a component of sorrowfulness. They both have a component of, of pity. They both, you know, we, we see something that's, that is wrong, and we have mercy upon that person that's been wrong. We feel bad for them, but grace takes it a step further. Grace has a component of a gift. It has a component of us receiving something from God. It's, it's a blessing. It may be our salvation. But when we receive grace from God, it's not just him looking down and saying, wow, I really feel sorry for those people. It's, I feel bad for them. I feel sorrowful for them. I have pity for them, and this is what I'm going to give them. This was, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve any pity. They don't deserve any gifts, but this is what I'm going to do. And at the time of tribulation, mind you, his church is gone. The people that are left on the earth at this time are those that rejected him. They don't deserve grace, but neither do we. We don't deserve grace today, and yet his grace is available for us. Revelation chapter number 8. Guess I should turn there. I memorized lots of stuff. I haven't memorized this chapter yet. And it's not chapter 8, it's chapter 7. 
Chapter 8 is when he actually breaks the seventh seal. So in chapter number 7, he says, And after these things, so what are these things? Those six seals. The six seals that have been broken. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurl the earth and the sea, hurt the earth and the sea, saying, here's the grace starting. He says, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, and of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of, of Nethalim were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Ishkar were sealed 12,000, of the tribes of Zebulon were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000, of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. 12,000 from each, these are, these are Jews, 12,000 from each, 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 uh, each tribe, See, get the picture of what's happening here. All this devastation is going on. These are all people that rejected Jesus Christ originally, but because of what's taking place, now these Jews are searching the Scripture, and it's being revealed to them that, hey, they were wrong, and now they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. 144,000 of these Jews were sealed. God stopped everything he was doing, told the angels... Stop. Don't hurt the earth. Don't hurt it at all until we've sealed these people. And he sealed all of them. And the verse number nine, do you see the grace there? None of them deserve to be sealed. None of them deserve to be sealed because why? They had rejected Jesus Christ. That's why they're still there. They had rejected Jesus Christ. And verse number nine, it says, And after this I beheld, lo, a great multitude which no man could number. He numbered 144,000, but this group of people is so many, he can't even count them all. There's just too many people. This great multitude. And these aren't just Jews. What does it say? Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the, the Lamb, clothed with white robes and psalms, palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and to, and to the Lamb. And the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. Do you know who these multitudes are? We have 144,000 Jews that are raised up as witnesses. What are they witnessing? Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Lord. God still loves you. God still desires you. God still loves you. And they're spreading this. 144,000 is spreading this. In spite of everything that's going on, they're, they're spreading this word. And there's a multitude that can't be numbered that come forth from that. These are the people that are saved during the tribulation. When I was younger, I was told that once that, once that trumpet sounded, it was too late. You couldn't, you couldn't accept Christ as your Savior anymore. That's not what the Scripture says. 
The problem is if we're not saved when the trumpet sounds, yes, we can still be saved, but now we have to endure the tribulation. And many won't. Many will die before they have the chance. Many people have already died on the earth. These people that are standing before the throne, they've already died. That's why they're there. This great multitude of people, because of these witnesses, this great multitude of people, they've already died. They're already standing before the throne of God. Verse 13 says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? they? Verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those that came out of the tribulation. That's not us. Because we're not going into the tribulation. These are those that came out of the tribulation. These are those that repented and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's important. There's got to be a distinction there because there will be a lot. Jesus Christ told us in Matthew there's going to be a lot of false prophets during that time too. There'll be a lot of false prophets. As a pastor, sometimes I get invited to things. I get invited to a music uh, music screen, a uh, movie screening one time. I don't even remember the name of the movie. Fortunately, it never got released. They, they canned it. It never got released. But I, get, I got called to this movie screening. I'm there with a whole bunch of other pastors, and we're watching this movie, and it's set up in the time of the tribulation. And some things they did a pretty good job of. The, the demons that come out of the pit, they did a pretty good job with their appearance. And they had a lot of things in there that were accurate and were very startling and were very troubling. But then you see one guy and he finds a Bible in the rubble. And he opens it up and he says, I believe you, God. And he's like vaporized and he's taken up. I'm like, what? And a little while later, the same thing happens to somebody else. They say, somebody else is like, I, I believe God is real. And they go up. What? And so at the end of this movie, packed theater, it's over at um, Universal Studios in one of their theaters, and it's this packed theater, and you know, the pastors afterwards are saying, the, the guy that, that wrote it, he comes out, and the director comes out, and he's like, hey, you know, what do you think? We're doing these screens all across the country, and the, 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 you know, the, the feedback has been extremely positive and upbeat and all the, what do you guys think? And pastor's like, oh, this is great, this is wonderful, and all these different things, and, and I'm sitting there with V, and I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. And she's like, you know, just, 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 just. and so I'm like, I gotta say something. So, so I'm like, and I'd already met the writer, so he kind of, he, he kind of knew who I was, but he didn't really, you know, we met like right before this. I didn't know who he was at the time. And so, real slow, put my hand up, and he's like, Pastor, yes. What do you think? And I said, Well, where, where's Jesus? They brought the mic over to me. I'm like, Where's Jesus? And the place got quiet. He's like, what? I'm like, Jesus is never mentioned. People can't go to heaven without Jesus. For one, people don't vaporize when they, when they believe God during the tribulation. They have, to, they have to come to know Jesus Christ. They have to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Where's Jesus in this movie? He wasn't mentioned one time. Oh, that's a great question. After a little pause. That's a great question. It's always a great question. You remember that? That's a great question. We, we had Jesus in the movie, but when Sony Pictures took over, they felt that Jesus was, he was a little too polarizing. So we, we just eliminated those parts so that we could reach out to a, a broader audience. And I'm thinking, I, didn't, I, I had all these other questions, and I'm like, 
I didn't know whether to ask him. And then real quick, he goes to somebody else. What did you think about the movie? And that guy thought it was great. And so, but I could feel everybody was just aggravated with me. And so when we're leaving, I told me, I said, we, we got to go. We, we got to go. We got to go quick. Everybody's angry with me. We got to go quick. And we're like, the first one's out. We're going, we're going, we're going. And, uh, and, and we get there and he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Like, what? Can you wait? No, I have to go now. So now I'm standing in the lobby all by myself. Like, oh, come on, Lord, come on. Take me home, take me home. And uh, pretty soon I feel this, this hand on my shoulder. I'm like, here it comes. I'm about to end up in the news. And a guy, he had turns me around. It was kind of rough. He turns me around. He's like, I, I was thinking that same thing. I was, I was thinking that same thing. And I said, well, why didn't you say something? Well, I didn't, I didn't want to be that guy. Well, I was that guy. Why didn't you say something after I said something? Well, I just didn't know what to say. This is a pastor. As we're leaving, V comes out, and I'm like, okay, we got to go, because a lot of people are just giving me nasty, dirty looks, because, you know, I ruined this movie for them. And we're on the little escalator, or the little people mover things. What are those moving sidewalks outside Universal? And we're there, and, I'm, and, and pretty soon I get another hand on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, here it comes again. Another guy, same thing. I was thinking the same thing. Like, why didn't you stand up? We've got to stand up. When, when they put this foolishness out, this filth, we've got to stand up. People are being deceived. There's false prophets everywhere. And there will be false prophets in this time of tribulation that will be preaching a false gospel. They'll be preaching a gospel of the Antichrist is the one to follow. They'll be preaching a gospel that the false prophet is the one to follow. They'll be preaching a false gospel that the government is their savior. By the way, that's the, the religion of the, the, of the revelation. The government is your savior. Does that sound familiar? Anything that happens in our world today, anything that happens in our country, there's a, there's a hurricane coming. What's the government going to do to save us? We have a disease that comes through our country. What's the government going to do to save us? Our roads are flooding. What are the government, what's the government going to do to save us? <laughs> the government's already done enough. They created the problem almost every single time. The government creates a problem, and then they act as the Savior. And the same thing is magnified in the book of Revelation. The government, the Antichrist, who will sit over the governments of the world, will create the problems, and the false prophet will, will tell the people, look to the, false, look to the Antichrist, he's our Savior. He's our Savior. He'll fix all this. He'll bring peace. He'll bring you food. He'll take care of the diseases. And he does for a little while. But in spite of that, God's grace abounds. We see 144,000 marked in the foreheads as God's chosen people. And then we see a multitude that can't even be numbered by John. How many more of 140? Is that a million? What is that, 10 million? How many is that? I have no idea. I just know John could see 144,000 and understand that, and he sees this other group and says, ah, that's too much. That's too many to count. It's a multitude that he couldn't count. We see that picture taking place in Revelation chapter 7. God's grace poured out upon these people, upon the people of the earth, the people that didn't deserve any of that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing, and he's writing about something, that a vision that he had of paradise. And he says, in chapter number 9, he says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus Christ is speaking here. He's gone. Paul is recounting what it was told to him. And he's saying, What? My grace is sufficient for thee. 
God's grace is enough. God's grace is sufficient. We have, we have religions all across this country. We have pastors all across this country that, that don't think that God's grace is enough. That don't think that God is sufficient. They want to create more. They want to add more. God's grace isn't sufficient for you to be healed, so you have to come down here and let me slap you in the forehead. And then you have to fall around and twitch, because, you know, that's how they did it in the, in the Bible. Not one time. And so they feel like they've got to do that. They have to add something else to it. Or God's grace isn't sufficient. You have to, you have to go and, and, and do, do this catechism, or, or you have to take this class, or, or you have to, to, to uh, uh, knock on this many doors, or you have to, to donate this amount of money. All these things they add because they don't believe God's grace is sufficient. But God says his grace is sufficient. If you don't get anything else out of today, understand God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's actually more than enough. But we won't go down that path right now. We'll just stick with the fact that it's sufficient. It's enough. Look at John chapter 16. The reason we don't think grace is sufficient is because there's so much garbage that goes on around us. It's going to be worse during the tribulation. But we have natural disasters now. We have sicknesses now. We have wars now. We have death now. We have all these things now, and they're going to be much worse then. But we, we live today. And we have to live through today. We have to, to deal with today. So for today, he gave us John chapter 16, verse number 33. He says, these things have I spoken unto you. What has he spoken? All the teaching he gave us, everything that he gave us. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. This isn't talking about the tribulation period. This is talking about our tribulation today. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, we're not going to live. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to have to live through that tribulation period. We won't be here. God will call us home. But if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to have to live for that. You're going to have to live through those times, through those horrific times. It gets worse, by the way. They start executing Christians. They start executing people that don't, won't take them, their mark. It gets a lot worse in the book of Revelation. But Jesus isn't talking about that here. He's talking about you today. He's saying you will have tribulation, and you'll have tribulation, and you'll have tribulation, and you'll have tribulation, and you'll have tribulation, but it's okay because his grace is sufficient. He's overcome the world. He's already overcome it. Not he will overcome it. He's already overcome it. He's already overcome it. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Probably the, the greatest expression of God's grace on an unworthy people is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
this is the greatest expression of grace that there is. This is the expression of grace that takes us from being lost sinners condemned on our way to hell to being saved saints of God on our way to heaven. This is the most powerful and prolific expression of God's grace. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you understand what I'm talking about. You notice what it says here. This is all of God. This isn't of us. This isn't about anything that we do. This isn't about, you know, God, God created us. He saved us to, to serve him, to work for him. But that serving and that working, that doesn't save us. That, that's a result of being saved. That's a symptom of being a Christian. It's like baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. If you're not saved when you get baptized, all you get is wet. You don't get baptized. But if you're saved, then baptism is, a, is a, a, an outward expression of what's taking place inside of you. Can you go to heaven without being baptized? Yeah. Yeah, of course you can. We go to heaven with a lot of sinful things in our life. Because it is sinful not to get baptized. Because we're called to do it. We're called to do it. But we can go, we can, you know, we don't have to be sinfully pure in ourselves because we don't wear our robe of righteousness. We wear his. And when we get there, we get a robe of righteousness. We get our robe of righteousness cleaned. You notice, you notice what was said back there with the martyrs? They washed their robes in his blood, and their blood, his blood made it white as, white as snow. You see, there is a part on ours. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work it. And that, that's a symbolic statement. We don't actually go out and wash our robes in blood. What it means is, is that we willfully accept the shed blood, the price that he paid on Calvary, that shed blood. We willfully accept that. We desire it. We call for it. We want it. And when we want it, when we desire it, that blood washes away our sin. So that one day we do stand in white robes. By the way, I told you that wasn't us that was there. Well, it's not me. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior and you don't get saved until the tribulation, that might be you, but it's definitely not me. We do come back. And when we come back, we're all wearing white robes because we've all been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. God's grace is an amazing thing. It just it blows my mind. It's so hard for my little tiny brain to comprehend how much grace that he has shown, not just to me, but to the entire world, and how much more he's going to show in the book of Revelation. We normally look at the book of Revelation as a time when his wrath is poured out, and it is. A time where, where, where Satan operates almost completely unfettered, and it is. Because today, Satan is, is fettered. The, the demons that are going to come out, they're, they're in chains. That particular group of demons, that vile group of demons is chained in the bottomless pit right now. We haven't experienced those. We've experienced other demons, but we haven't experienced those demons. Those are the ones that the, 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 the other demons said, you know, don't, don't imprison us before our time. Those are the ones that were already imprisoned before their time. They're waiting to be released during the time of tribulation. We haven't experienced that. We, you know, but that's going to happen. Satan's is going to be unfettered. You know, the, the pit bull is going to be taken off the chain. We're going to see God's wrath poured out. God's wrath has really, other than the closest we've seen God's wrath poured out into the earth was, was probably in the days of Noah. That's as close as we've come. But even then, amidst that great pouring out, we saw his grace and the eight that survived. 
and the, all the animals that he preserved. We saw his grace. God's grace is one of his, his most defining attributes, something that we can't ignore. We can't forget. God's grace is fully available to us today, just like it is in the time of Revelation. But it takes something from you. It takes your heart. It takes your desire. God did not make you a robot. He gave you the ability to choose or to reject. That's all you have to do. You don't have to do anything else. We give you the opportunity at the end of each service to do that, but you don't have to do it at the end of the service. I'd love to have the opportunity at some point, whether it's at the end of the service or maybe after everybody else leaves, to be able to show you in the Word of God everything you need to know to make a good decision. But ultimately, the decision's yours. I can't make it for you. I can't change your heart. I can't make you receive. Throughout history, we've seen where groups of people that call themselves Christians have tried to convert people at the end of a spear. And we're left today with massive, ungodly cults as a result. Because it's not about what I can force you to do. I'm just a beggar who received bread, telling another beggar, beggar where they can receive bread. That's it. Will you receive today? Will you accept Christ as your Savior today? Will you set aside whatever it is that you have been expecting to get you to heaven? And will you trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ?